spot to cover. But if you can absorb it in faith, then this conference will be able to get through all five chapters. So today, let's do chapter 1. So chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 10. I'll be reading from ESV. Okay, so 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. Okay. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I'm on verse 5 now. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Here ends the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so 1 John, the entire book is about how to have fellowship with God. And having fellowship isn't just simply praying to God, but it's by continually meeting with Him as a personality, as a person to person. And really, this is God's purpose for creating us. That when He created Adam, He didn't create Adam to work. He created Adam to have fellowship with Him. Why? Because God is a God of love. And love happens through fellowship. And so man can only do something through fellowship with God. Without fellowship, if they do something else, then that is a problem. Without fellowship and you are doing pastoral ministry, that is not pastoral ministry. 
And so when I say that that's not a pastoral ministry, I'm not talking about it from the perspective of manly eyes, of manly perspective. That church may just simply be an organization. The church needs to be life. And because God called us and created us as His children, and He predestined us to be holy and blameless as a bride for Jesus Christ. And so that's why He sent His church. And through that church, we receive all the nourishment of God and we are uh, fulfill that predestination. And so if the church loses fellowship, then that means that all the vessel of God's grace is being blocked. And so we need to give our lives to God because we need to die for God. Do not die for your pastoral ministry. Do not give your life to your pastoral ministry because we are not created to work. We are children of the king. And so we are meant to have fellowship with that king. And so this fellowship was the purpose for why God created us. And this is evidence that we have been made in that image of God. And so we can have fellowship with God. And this is God's first purpose for us. And so from this perspective, 1 John is very important for us to look at. Because it's having fellowship with the Trinity God. And the first John may seem like a maze at first. That as you go through the maze, more doors open up. And as you go through that door, you, you find this treasure. But there's more doors behind it. And then so once you get passed through that maze, it's as if you found all the treasure in that maze and, ha and now have this healthy life with God. Now, of course, God has a purpose behind all 66 books of the Bible. And so if you receive the purpose of God through all 66 books, then the Word of God becomes part of your character. And as I said, that the purpose of 1 John is what is, this is how to have fellowship with me. And so that is what will be characterized in you when you receive this word in faith. And so if Sergio fails to work or to speak, it's because he's failing to have fellowship with God. He's failing to have fellowship with me, failing to have fellowship with God. And so there's this blockage here. And so that means he needs to be crucified. <laughs> But it's the same thing with, with God because He is a personality. If you, we have fellowship with Him and if we don't have fellowship with Him, then we cannot share in that love. And so His purpose for us is love. We receive His love and, so, and when we can love as He loves, then we have fulfilled His greatest purpose in our lives. 
But without that fellowship, this love is null. And so if a pastor cannot have fellowship, but he's continuing in his ministry, then he is simply just being religious and an organization. If a minister doesn't have fellowship and ministers, then he is simply being an employee. But we are not created to be workers. We are created to have dominion over God's kingdom. And so through fellowship, we can fulfill His great purpose for our lives. And this isn't some mystery, but this is some, a tr- practical way of how we can have fellowship with God. We can hear His voice, and we can know His heart. And Apostle John, in Old Testament terminology, is a man who has entered into the inner chamber of God. He is someone who perfected the revelation that Daniel first started. That he was burned in oil alive by Rome. And yet, because of the love he knew through great fellowship with God, he did not hate Rome, nor curse Rome, nor, nor, nor feel any um, anger against him. And so that's allowed him to have that pure re- revelation. And so you, brothers, as well, can have the same fellowship as John. And if we look at the height of fellowship in the Bible, if you look at Amos 3, 7, it says that God does not work without first revealing His secrets to His servants, the prophets. And so this is the height, being able to speak with God with having no secrets. And so when God uses this word secret, it's the Hebrew word sod. Sod is talking about God's bedchamber. And so who is your closest confidant? It is the person who you share bed with, yes? And so... And so if my wife pokes at me and says, speak to me, then am I going to not speak to her? Of course I'm going to tell her everything. It's the same thing with God. And so pastors, if you have secrets from your wives, then you need to repent. But this is the height of fellowship with God that is expressed in the Bible. And so when many servants of God have this level of relationship, that's when we can see the kingdom of heaven on earth. Remember that the church has the authority to have dominion over the world. And so when you proclaim, God moves the world. Okay, uh, our church, Yerbang Church, has prophesied the past five presidents of Korea. We even prophesied the president of America. And God moved through our prophecies. And so we even prophesied regarding, regarding Trump. Because the church has this authority to have dominion over the world. And so when we proclaim, the nations move. And so when your lips proclaim truth, and when God's will is proclaimed, God's kingdom moves. 
But if you move through your thoughts, through your education, through your experience, God's kingdom does not move. If you speak about your will, God's kingdom is not moving. And so 1 John, 1 John, through having this deep fellowship with God, you come to know God deeper. And you have the authority of the Word of God. And so today, we want to know this, how to have fellowship with God. And so through 1 John, he is opening the doors wide. Hallelujah. And so let us enter into every single chamber and receive every single treasure. And whenever I proclaim, fall after me well. If you don't follow me well, you might get lost in this maze. So follow well, okay? And so when we talk about 1 John, there is context that needs to be gained first. But it's not just 1 John, but actually this context is needed in order to understand all of the New Testament. When the apostles of the early church wrote down this word, they always wrote these ideas with this context in mind. And so even if they do not explicitly say those words, these words are, are contained in, that, in these verses. And so if you do not understand that context, you cannot understand the New Testament. There are a couple things. But for example, one is the new self and the old self, the concept of the new self and old self. Especially the book of Romans and the book of 1 John, without this context of new self, old self, you cannot understand what is being written. And there are many other examples. But for example, in chapter 3, verse 9, it says, it says, uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And as you read this, you may say, how can I not sin? And, and, and it, But it says, the, who is the one who is born of God? It's the new self. And the new self does not have the ability to sin. And so the moment you were born again, inside of you was the new self. The new self was born within you. And the one who sins is the old self, the flesh. But if you live by the new self, in the new self, you will not sin. Because the new self is a being that has the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, he cannot sin. And so what does it mean to be sanctified, to be glorified? That the new self grows within me. And so if you do not understand this new self, old self, you cannot understand many verses in the Bible. And so I want to share some of this context with you before we enter into the text. And so as I said, we've been talking about fellowship, right? And when you have fellowship, who are you having fellowship with? It's fellowship with God. But God is who He is Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And these three are one. And as you well learned in your seminaries, this is called the Trinity. But this word itself, there's no problem with it. 
But I do not like to use that word. Because not only is it not written in the Bible, but for the past 2,000 years, the Vatican has polluted this word and given too much different context to this word. Okay, uh, when the church first began for 100 years, it grew in an amazing way and then all of a sudden it died. And to the point where it's been dying for the past 2,000 years and is almost perfectly dead now. And the reason is because the enemy implanted this chip into the church that polluted the truth. Okay, if you go to America in Yellowstone, uh, in Sequoia, he's talking about Sequoia National Park. There's this tree, this big tree that has roots deep into the ground. And this tree doesn't even worry about fire and doesn't worry about famine. Why? Because, because of its roots. And it's the same thing with the church. The church needs to be this kind of tree. But have you ever heard of a bonsai tree? Do you know what a bonsai tree is? It's a tree that takes a big church and puts and makes it miniature. Do you know how? They they tighten the roots using this uh, iron rod wire, and to limit its nourishments, and so that tree no longer grows to its full potential. It's the same thing with the Church of God. Through the apostles, God unleashed this, this, this truth. And so for the first hundred years, the church grew in amazing ways. And so remember, the church equals the kingdom of heaven. And so after the gospel and the acts and the acts of the apostles, you see that the kingdom of heaven no longer is there. Uh, and so, wait, 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 sorry, one moment. Okay, and so the reason why he calls it the church is to help underst- uh, the, the Gentiles to understand the concept of the kingdom of heaven. And the word is ecclesia. So if you look at Hebrews 12, it, it points, it picks, paints the picture of the assembly of God. And so that is the church, right? The true church. As it says in Acts uh, 28, that this is the church purchased by the blood of God. And so there's nothing that God would hold back for His church because He purchased this church with His blood. The church will never fall. The church can withstand all things. That's the faith we must have. And so let's say that He is my son. And let's say that I am the richest man in the world that I have so much money, and let's say he wants to begin a business, then I gave him a hundred million dollars, but then he failed, his business failed. Then let's say I gave him a billion dollars, then he again foolishly failed. Then now I gave him a trillion dollars, and he failed again. I'm gonna give you infinite. Do you think he will fail? No, he cannot fail. That's the church. The church gives his everything to the church. And so, what's the problem? No, who is this given to? It's given to the true church, the church of God. 
And so you need to confirm that your church is a church of God. It's not about what kind of program I do, what kind of teaching I do. No, that's not what's important in the church. And so we will see these glorious churches be manifest on this earth. And so as witnesses, I have brought my church, uh, my church members here. They all can minister. They all will, are willing to die for the truth. There is, this is the true church. And believe that God has called you as the center stage. And we must know how great this church is. And as I said earlier, God glorifies His children through His church. And so you as ministers, why, why can you minister? Because you are the church. Why are you able to serve? Because you are the church. And that's what it's all about. It's about being the church, the church of God. Amen? And what has destroyed that church? It is the corruption of the truth. But gratefully, thanks be to God, that for the past 32 years, God has continually been restoring the truth in me. And so we are, that's why currently translating our, our textbooks into Spanish for you. And why? Because I cannot preach all of the books of the Bibles to you, right? But all of the books that I have preached are being are translated to Spanish. And we are establishing Bible schools all over the world to train pastors all over the world. So we wanted to begin in Paraguay, but we also want one in Costa Rica. Amen? But anyways, the important thing is the restoration of the truth. To remove the chip of the great prostitute. And so that we can be spiritually great trees. And so I want to talk about this trinity. Okay. There is one, um, one great uh, one benefit of Trinity is that the, the Trinity is there's three, but they are one. And so, and so when you say one plus one plus one equals three, right? And yet it's not three, but it's one. That's what Trinity means. This is not something that we can understand with our minds. How, when there's three, is it one? And so as this uh, revelation of the Trinity is unraveled upon you, many things of the Holy Spirit will be unraveled upon you. And so for the past 32 years, I've never preached theories or ideas. Why? Because 32 years ago when God met with me, the only way he taught me to preach was things that I have embodied. And so when we proclaim the truth, when we proclaim the word, the power of that word will renew souls and will heal, will cause growth and transformation, will chase out demons. 
Why? Because the word is living and active. As it says in Hebrews 12, 4, that the word is living and active. Amen? Hallelujah. And so through this conference, the words that you speak will have that power. And so why must you be pastors? There are many reasons. But as it says in Malachi, that from in your lips God has planted His law. What does that mean? That means that when you open your lips, God's lips are opened. And so words of God will never fall to the ground. As it says in Jeremiah 1.9, that when you proclaim the word, that word will break down and build up, will crush and, 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 and reestablish. And so what is there more important than this? And so that's why you are dignified as pastors. And so you can transform people. When your words are open, when your mouth is open, God's mouth is open. You must believe. Amen. Hallelujah. And so through 1 John, this power and authority must be restored onto you. And so all you need to do is receive in faith. Just yearn and thirst for it. Hallelujah. And so this Trinity, it says 1 plus 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 3, it equals 1. Why? Because all three are God. It's God. And yet, why do we say that 111 is 1? Because they are one God, but they all have their own personality. And they have different positions. What does that mean? That means that the three heads of the Trinity do different things. For example, if you look at Genesis, that when God created the heaven and the earth, He speaks. And as that world is being created in His words, it's the breath of the Holy Spirit that holds that uh, system together. And this word holding together in Hebrew, it's like a rus, a hen, um, incubating her eggs. And because this, because the Holy Spirit is incubating this, the order of creation is formed. And so, what God the Father and God the Spirit do is different. And so, the reason why I'm describing this is because I want to talk about your fellowship with God. There are some of you who have fellowship with God the Father. And there's some who fail to have fellowship with God the Father. And I'm talking about real practical cases. And some of you, it's easy for you to have fellowship with God the Son. But you do not have fellowship with God the Father. That's maybe because you have hurts towards your own fleshly father. And so it's hard for you to truly call out to God, Abba Father. You know, because like this sister who, who had many hurts towards her father. Right, and so you cannot have faith. You do not trust in Father, and so, and so if you look at Mark eleven, it says you have God's faith. And you, so we need to have faith of God. It's not my faith, but God's faith, and so we need to receive His faith. 
But we receive that from the Father. But if you have hurts towards your own Father, how can you receive from your Father in heaven? Now, if you do not have fellowship with God the Son, then if you look at Galatians 2.20, it says that you need to have faith of the Son. And so if you do not have fellowship with the Son, then you cannot have faith of the Son. And so fellowship with the Trinity is important because in a practical sense of how I work according to how the Trinity works. And so as I've been going all over the world and ministering, establishing churches, every nation has their personality, their characteristic. Okay, when Chinese people hear my sermons, they love it. The reason is because they are children of Confucius. And so they love to think and philosophize, and to have philosophy. But South Americans don't like this. Okay. You guys are similar to us Koreans. You do not like to think. <laughs> but don't think. You do not need to think. Receive it in faith. Just receive it in your spirit. Even if you don't understand, receive, if you receive it in faith, then it will be made in you. Because God is the spirit of truth. And so as that spirit moves inside of you, you will come to realize. And so what's important is faith. It's not about your brain. It's not about your intellect. It's about faith. And so let's go again. And, and so this fellowship with the Trinity is very practical. Because they all have the one nature of God, but they have their various positions. And so all three have this clear, distinct characteristic. For example, when it comes to love, that is the position of God the Father. And so as we have fellowship with God the Father, we are filled with His love. And I'm not trying to describe my experiences. This is what we see in 1 John. In New Testament, that's how the early Christians had fellowship with God. And so you need to understand that this is practical. Why were the early church members able to be so pure and not limit God? It's because from the beginning they had this amazing fellowship with God. And so God the Father is love. Then God the Son is focused on grace. And God the Spirit is focused on comfort. And then they also have their own distinctive characteristic. When we say Jesus the Son, He is the one who embraces us even in our sins. But God the Holy Spirit, if we sin, the Spirit wants to be far away from us. And so when you have fellowship with God, you will see these characteristics in your life. And so 1 John describes fellowship with all three heads of the Trinity. 
And so all three are one, but they also have their own individual names. And so we talk about this as described as what? Theology, Christology, and as, um, as uh, sorry, I didn't hear the third one, but but they all have their own characteristic they all have their own personality that they pour out when you have fellowship and so through fellowship you come to know their characteristic you come to know their distinctions for example let's say I had to heal then this healing doesn't always come through the spirit okay, one, one time I was ministering in Singapore and there was a sister who was who was suffering from um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for from uh, not bulimia the other one where she doesn't eat you know and then so uh, her body was so weak and 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 then she was afflicted with rheumat rheumatoid uh, rheumatoid and then. Uh, and then so uh, she crawled up to the stage. And then it wasn't the spirit that worked, but the father spoke to me. And what did the father say to her? That, my daughter, I love you. And I didn't heal her, but I just said that. And as I said that, she started to cry and she was cleansed. And so look, and so even with Trinity, the dynamic of how he moves is different according to who's moving. And so this is the word that I like to use, the dynamic. This dynamic of the Trinity, the way he moves inside of me is this dynamic. And so sometimes God works his healing might through through proclamation of holiness. Then you proclaim the blood of Jesus Christ. Then the Son works. And so in your ministry, this must be clear and you need to understand that this is practical in your ministry. And so we said that there are three names. And so of course there are many names for God the Father, but, but uh, the biggest ones to say is He is Elohim and Yahweh. And Elohim is described in Genesis 1 uh, to chapter 2, verse 3, right? It's speaking of Elohim, of creating the creation. And so as we meet with Him, we meet with Him as, uh, as Elohim, this Almighty God. That though I am weak and powerless, but when I have fellowship with Him, then His Almighty nature is, takes place in me. But then starting chapter 2, verse 4, it describes him as Yahweh. And so this is the same thing as in Exodus 3, where he says that I am who I am. And when he says I am who I am, what is this describing? This is describing God who created man. And so this is talking about love. And so when we have fellowship with God as Yahweh, we learn about love. Now let's go to Christology. Jesus Christ also has many names. Why? Because He came in the flesh as us. He came as man. And so in Christology, there's many things to say. But the most important thing is the Christology of the book of Mark. What is the focus of that Christology? 
is that though he had the identity of being the son of God, he became man just like you and me. And so if you deny that he came in the sarks, if you deny he came in the flesh, that is the Antichrist. And so if you have the Christology of the Roman Catholic Church, you are the Antichrist. Because they deny that his fleshness. The Bible continually says that he came in the flesh. Hebrews 5.17 says that while he was in the flesh. Romans 8.3 says that he has the same flesh as us. And so he was perfectly man just like you and me. He was the same, exactly the same as you. Though he had the identity of being the son of God, but until he died on that cross, that identity was not made manifest. Then how did he perform miracles? And then how did he perform power? It's because he completely emptied himself and relied fully on the Holy Spirit. And so even us as men, when we empty ourselves and rely on the Holy Spirit, then just as it says in John 14, that you will be do, do the same things that I did, but not only that, you'll do greater things. And so this is the focus of the Christology of the book of Mark. And so we can live just as he did. And no, beyond that, we must live as he did. But we cannot do so out of our efforts. But when we receive his righteousness, then we can live just as Jesus did. And so God is also God. God the Father is also God. Or God the Son is also God. But the thing that dis distinguishes Him from the other Godhead is that He was the same man as us. That's why, we call him, that's why He calls Himself Son of Man. So if He came here and said that I am Son of God, then we would all be dead. But what does He say when He comes to earth? He says that I am the same just as you. That I am just like you. And I know your weakness, I know your hardships, I know your pain. I know the hard times that you are going through. And so that's, that is what distinguishes him as the Son of God. That he is not of a different essence, but he is the same essence of us. And so God has these three different distinguished characters and we're meeting with all three. And so if you fail to meet with one, even one, then you fail in His, in, in his amazing diversity. Who is Holy Spirit then? The Holy Spirit was there when God created the world. But the amazing thing is that as it's prophesied in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, is that that spirit came inside of us. As it says in Jeremiah 33, that we are of new covenant. We have this new covenant. And so above all else, what we need to understand about God the Spirit is that that spirit is inside of me. He dwells in me. And so while we are on this earth, who is the most important fellowship? It is the Holy Spirit who, has, who we have direct contact with. 
And so where is glorification in life? Is when I do not limit Him. Because He is God, right? And He is in me. And so from God's perspective, this is great risk. He is God and He... And yet He can be limited by us. Right, by us, he can, his name can be, can be polluted. But because he loves you, even though this is great risk, he poured his spirit into you. But the Holy Spirit is still a great being. In Revelations, it calls him the seven spirits. And these seven spirits is from uh, Isaiah 7. Right, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of power and, and, and ability, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so this is all uh, the character of the Holy Spirit. And this character is poured out upon you through Him. And then also in the New Testament, He says that He is the spirit of truth. And so the spirit and the truth cannot be separate. Jesus and the truth and the word cannot be separate. Jesus and the Holy Spirit cannot be separated. Like it says in Isaiah 41, that when he came in the flesh, he walked with the Spirit. This is really important to understand. And so the church, the church cannot say that, oh, we have great word of God, but we do not have miracles. Or another church may say, we have miracles. But, but we do not have the Word of God. But that cannot be the case. Because the Kingdom of Heaven is, is in the church. And so you must be able to do all things of the Kingdom of Heaven. So the Word must be rich. The Jesus must be rich. The Holy Spirit must be rich. It's all God. And so it's all one. And so because they cannot be separated. And so just as this Trinity cannot be separated and has this dynamic, in the same way, He's in us. And so He is also our great advocate. He is my healer. He is the one who knows all of the things inside of me. And He is also the fellowship spirit that allows us to have fellowship with God. As it says in 1 Corinthians, right, that He is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is the spirit of power. So this is all names of the Holy Spirit. And this spirit that dwells within you allows you to work in all of these things. And so, of course, we must have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so this trinity, what's, it's like a, a, a tripod. Okay, when one leg moves, then all the, the other legs move with it. Okay, and so when the Father moves, the Spirit and the Son move together. When the Son moves, the Spirit and the Father moves as well. And so this is where the Trinity ends. But if you end here, then this is just a theory. It's just an ideology. But the amazing thing is that because the Holy Spirit dwells within me, He has invited us into this dynamic. And so I need to enter into that Trinity. And so the early church, Uh, they understood the Trinity as a way to have fellowship with God. 
And so the, that's why the word Trinity is not written in the Bible. Because this Trinity, this word Trinity, just simply deified God. And He's someone that's so far away that you cannot have fellowship with Him. And that's where the failure of this word Trinity came in. But he, the key fact of the Trinity is that we are invited into that dynamic. And so look at John 17. Turn to John 17. Okay, are you following me in this maze? Okay, please do not get lost. Okay, if we get lost, then we might have to stay here forever. Okay, so if you look at verse 21 of chapter 17, or verse 20, uh, oh no, that just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that they may all be one. The order in Korean is a little bit different from English, but so anyways, that they may all be one. And so we are being one with Him as well. And so now look at verse 20. Uh, or verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And so... So He is the Creator. He is the King, right? And so all the words that He gives us is in Christ, right? That, that all means kings. And He truly has dominion over this creation. And going beyond that, He is holy God. And holiness equals glory. And that glory was given to Israel. And that glory, as it says in Malachi 3.1, is given to the church. And so it made, it made possible for us to have fellowship that they have together and in this trinity. And so when we enter into that fellowship that they have with one another, that glory grows and grows and grows. As it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 18, that the Holy Spirit leads us from glory to glory. And as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and so the Word of God shines the knowledge of God to us, the glory of the Gospel. And so inside of you, you need to believe that this glory is shining. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And so, any of you see angels? There are many people in our church who can see angels. And angels are very bright. And so, but now let's think, think about archangels, how bright they must be. If you look at them with your eyes, you would go blind. But now, according to the prophecy of Zechariah 5, in these end times, the church that God hopes for is going to be on this earth. And what is this church? This church is the church that is completely separate from Babylon. That every single member in that church has no pollution of the world. And that church will command archangels. And that church will soon be seen on this earth. Michael, right, we'll see Michael. 
Right. I, I, I saw uh, Michaela. Her name means Michael, right? And so I've seen her for the first time in three years, and she's gotten very beautiful. Also, Gabriel, these, these archangels will work with the church. But look at these archangels. These archangels themselves could not look, could not gaze upon the glory of Jesus Christ. And yet you can look upon that light. As it says in 1 Corinthians, right, that the light of Jesus Christ is the light that gives, reveals, gives the knowledge of the glory of God. And so why are we allowed to see that light? Because that's how you've been created to be. You have been created to be children of God. And so you can see the essential light of God. The light of the gospel is not a reflection, but it is the light itself. And so you can look upon that light. And so reclaim that dignity that you have as children of God. Know who you've been created to be. Hallelujah. And so when these three move, I move together with them. I have been invited into the Trinity. I have been invited into this glorious fellowship. And so the word Trinity itself is not important, but the idea of that Trinity is important to me. How? Because I have been invited into that communion. Amen? And so for this to happen, what did God do? As you said earlier, He gave the Holy Spirit to us. This is according to the prophecy of Jeremiah 34 and also Ezekiel 32. The fact that the Holy Spirit is inside of me, this is amazing fact of history. And so through the Holy Spirit coming into me, you have now be, have signed the new covenant. And so through the, him coming into me, I'm no longer tied to the old covenant of Israel, but I'm a new covenant. And so in Hebrews, it says that he is the author of the new covenant. And so what is the focus of this new covenant? Is that the Holy Spirit dwells in me? The word is inside of me. And so, like it says, in Hebrews 10, 12, 12, that the power of the blood is inside of me. And if you look at John 5, 8, that when we have fellowship with this Trinity God, that the Word moves together, that the blood moves together, that the Holy Spirit also moves together. And so these three are one. And so remember, I'm not teaching you theory. In this prophecy, in this conference, as you receive this in anointing, it must be practical in you. It must be embodied in you. And so what does God say to you? That I will make you as me. Where does he find this confidence that he'll make me like him? Well, as it says in Second Peter, that the word of God is the power of his divinity. But because we have received his word, we take partake in that divinity. 
like it says in Zechariah 12:8, that we are going to be made in His image. This is the prophecy. How can we be like God? Why? Because God has created that ability in me from the beginning. And so what does it mean to be a pastor? These church members come to your church. You are transforming them to be like God. Can you transform them? Can you make them to be like God? You cannot. And so what does that mean? That means, pastors, you do nothing. That's the truth. The essence is you do nothing. Then what are you to do? You play. You play. And so who is the best pastor? The pastor who plays well. No one is saying amen. Okay, but before you understand, just say amen in faith. Because look, out of your efforts, can you make your church members to be like God? Can you transform people? But you cannot out of my essence, you cannot out of your, your ability, you have to give up on those things. So you need to rely fully upon God. He needs to work. But what is a pastor to do? Just simply bow down before God. It's not simply just praying. But let God lead your life. And so from the perspective of 1 John, it's having fellowship with God. And so the church is a gathering of gods. Now, of course, we are not self-sufficient gods. Our divinity comes from Him, right? And so in fellowship with Him, Okay, and so when he moves inside of me, you know, you see the miracles move. Uh, dead come to life, bones grow where they were none, uh, treasure falls from heaven. And wherever you go, wherever we've gone, we've seen a golden dust come upon this place. And the last time we had this conference in Paraguay, the, for four days, gold was sprinkling from heaven. And so the pastors, as they saw that, they were come breaking down in tears. And in China, even jewels fell from heaven. And people were coming and gathering those jewels up. Chinese people are different, right? They're of a different breed. Even my translator, she was not translating. She was picking up the jewels. You don't pick up the jewels, okay? Okay, but this is important. Okay, when we receive the New Testament in faith, this is going to be very key. So the Holy Spirit dwells within me, and so we are new covenant beings. And what is the meaning of the new covenant? As Jeremiah said, okay, what did a Hebrew use the author of uh, the author of Hebrews use these words from Jeremiah? 
that I will remember your sins no more. And so this is really important, but in order to go over this, I need to preach out of Hebrews. And I preach Hebrews in Paraguay. Hebrews is a very important book. <laughs> he asked to come to do Hebrews next year. Maybe this year. Who knows? But Hebrews is a very important book. But I'll go I'll I'll refer to it every now and then. But anyways, when we repent, we are not just simply being forgiven. That the power of that sin over my life is being erased. The power of the blood within me makes it so that he remembers our sins no more. So when you sin, the moment you sin, that record of that sin is written in the heavenly tabernacle. And that record of sin cannot be erased by human hands. And yet Jesus Christ died on the cross. Okay, and so when he was baptized by John the Baptist, he received all the sins of man. And he died on the cross. And that blood that was spilled on the cross was the blood that was polluted by that, that sin. And so he spilled every last drop. And through that blood, we have been forgiven, yes? And through that, we say that we have received God's righteousness. And what does it mean that we are righteous? It means that we have no sin. We have never sinned. And so the name of holiness that has been given to Israel is now also given to us in the New Testament. And so to my understanding and to my experience that when it comes to holiness, there is nothing more dignified than receiving holiness. There is nothing that you would trade holiness for. And so holiness is what God has given you. But it doesn't just end here. Now Jesus was came as man. But because he lived fully relying upon the Holy Spirit, he never sinned once. And so inside of him was this pure blood. And with this pure blood, where did he go? He went up to the heavenly tabernacle and sprinkled that blood, that pure blood, to erase those sins in the heavenly tabernacle. And so in the heavenly tabernacle, there is no records of your sins. But that same blood, as it says in Hebrews 10, that blood is also within me. And so when we repent, it's not, we're not simply repenting out of, out, of, out of regret, but we are repenting out of glory, out of sanctification. And so when we repent in that state, that sin is completely erased. And so, of course, that record of sin is completely erased. And yet, you still sin. Do you not see that? Yes, right? So, why? Because in your spirit, the spirit has the conscious, right? As it says in Romans 12. And this conscious also has records of your sins. 
And so we need to rely on that blood that's inside of us. And when we repent, we also need to erase the sins recorded on our conscience. And so if you do not repent and clean the consciousness, then what's going to happen? That when you are resurrected, you're going to be resurrected with memories of that darkness. Then you're going to be resurrected into darkness. And so these people will stand before the judgment of Christ. Although we do not stand before the white throne judgment, but like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so the most important thing for us is repentance. As it says in Ephesians 1, that when the Holy Spirit entered into me, He gave us every heavenly blessings for us to live with God. What this means is that your growth doesn't come out of education, that you do not need to go somewhere to receive some skill. Rather, you grow by revealing what has already been given inside of you. Why are you unable to do this? Because this sarks, this flesh has bound these things down. And so through repentance, we loosen these bindings. And so you can grow unendlessly. And so you are not growing from stage one, stage two, stage three. No. You, because God has given His all to you. Okay, there are some people who have spent 20 years with me and they are witnesses but I'm always being renewed renewed every day continue being renewed every day being growing in a new way every day it's not because I studied it's not because I, I learned or researched no because I'm just simply manifesting what God has already poured into me amen And so the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you means that His kingdom is inside of you. And the reason why I'm saying this to you is because when you have fellowship with the Trinity God, then the power of His blood and all of His renewal of His Spirit must be made manifest in me. Because how amazing is this blessing that we have? If you meet with an excellent man constantly, a great man constantly, then you will be transformed, right? How much more if you are meeting with the Trinity God every day? In my experience, Okay, there's someone who's transformed completely in six months in our church. That after six months, they're already ministering to others. They're even ministering to pastors. But these days, it seems to take about a year. And so it's not about being a pastor. It's about who dwells inside of you. And what is he doing in you? And how is he creating you? And so as long as you know this, it's game over. Then all I can do is pray and eat the word. 
And so I pray and bless you that you would take this dynamic fellowship with God. For the past 22 years, as I've been serving pastors all over the world, this is what I said to all of them. That if you cannot have fellowship with God, quit your pastoral ministry. Because you're going to fail. Because you're simply going to pollute the church. You're just going to make organization. And this isn't my words. This is words of God in the Bible. And because God created us for a purpose. And this purpose is to have fellowship. And so through 1 John, I bless you that you would receive grace in a deeper way. Amen? And so the fact that we are new covenant beings, that means that we have dealt with the issue of sin. In Romans 6, 7, 8, he, Paul says the same thing. The biggest issue of life is sin. And if sin is over, then there is nothing to worry. As Paul says, you have been set free from sin. What does that mean? That means you now have dominion. That the moment you have been set free from sin, you are now under the dominion of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so those of you who have dealt with sin, there's nothing to fear anymore. That's what the Bible continually says. Why can you rejoice at all times? Because you have dealt with the issue of sin. So there's nothing that can cause you fear. If money is a problem in your life, then the Bible would simply be teaching you how to make money. But when you look at the Bible, there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches you to make money. But people, when they lack money, they think they lack everything. The, but the, what does the Bible say? It says, do not be lovers of money. And Paul says, even goes further than that. He says that whether I have or I do not have, it's not a problem. Because, and so that's what it means to have dealt with sin. And so the church of God doesn't need anything else. Amen? And so this is the essence of, of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit entering inside of me. And so as Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we are His temple. Right? Temple, church. It, it, it's the same principle. And so the fact that we are His temple means that we are under His dominion. And so why is the church great? Because the church's head is Jesus Christ, who is, the, who is the master of the universe. And so there's only one way for the church to survive, to live. It's to be obedient to the commands of the head. That is how the church will survive. As it says in Ephesians 1. All we have to do is obey Him. It's the same thing when it comes to temple. The fact that we are God's temple. Remember, God's temple is where His throne is. And so the fact that we are His temple means that we are His throne room. Look at Isaiah. He enters into the throne room in chapter 6, right? He enters into the throne room. And there's many things written there. 
But remember, Israel is glorified when they are under God's reign. And so the fact that we are his temple means that he is seated on his throne and he determines the history of man. But that determination also is in me. Amen? And so that's what come, I come to know through the Holy Spirit. As it says in Amos 3, that God does not work without first revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And so the history of man, the history of the nations, the history of your person is determined inside of you by the Spirit. And so as it says in Ephesians 3.17, that we have, are, have the authority to teach angels. Why? Because in the angels, the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell. They cannot hear the words of God directly. But because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me, we can hear the voice of God. Because He dwells inside of me. And so open your spiritual eyes. Look at the heavenly hosts around you. That all the angels are gathered here in Costa Rica. Even now, all these words that are being proclaimed, the angels are writing it down. They are being dictated to. Amen? Have faith. Believe. When I first established my church, I saw the kingdom of heaven through this word. God who is the judge of the world. And all the heavenly hosts. The, 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 the righteous ones who came before us, the witnesses of the new covenant and, and the blood that speaks and the church of God. That church covered over our church when we first established it. And so as I was preaching, I see God being blessed. I was preaching Romans and, and I see Paul being blessed. Yeah, you do not believe, do you? And so if you look at Hebrews 11, 39, and 40, that the righteous of the Old Testament had the promise, but they didn't have the guarantee. Why? Because Jesus had yet come to the earth. But who did they receive that guarantee? They receive through your growth, through your glorification, they receive that promise. And so why is this significant? Because the church of God and the kingdom of God is one. If you look at Romans 8, it talks about the law of the spirit of life. And so the kingdom of heaven moves according to the order, the order of this life. And so when this blood moves inside of me, when this life moves inside of me, when the Trinity moves inside of me, I move together with the Trinity, then all the righteous of the Old Testament, all the righteous of the New Testament are moving together with me. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is moving. And so, and so Hebrews 11, or 7, uh, Hebrews 12, 1, it says that the righteous of the Old Testament, the heavenly host, the assembly, and you are gathered together. And so and they're cheering you on. And so I'm preaching First John right now. And so who is going to be cheering you on the most right now? 
Apostle John. Apostle John. And so he is cheering all you pastors on right now. And so you are all connected to the heavenly host. This is the order of the spirit of life. And so as I saw this, even though I only had one church member at that time, with that one church member, I preached for five hours. Why? Because it's not one person that I'm preaching to, but to the heavenly hosts. And so God was so blessed that he wasn't just sitting down, but he was standing up, giving me a standing ovation. And so of course I'm going to preach for five hours. Shall I tell you a funny story? Okay, these days God doesn't give me standing ovations. Okay, because he's afraid that he's, uh, he's going to lose this throne to the pastors. <laughs> it's a joke, you know. Okay, so remember, I'm not teaching you ideology. We see that this Trinity has this dynamic and they all have their own characteristic. And then, so as this Holy Spirit dwells within me, what does that mean? Inside of me is this new self now, which is separate from the old self. And so I don't know if I'll be able to talk about the noose today. But I want to sh talk about how the human physiology is created. If we have time, I would like to go through that. But anyways, as that spirit enters into my spirit, I now have three things inside of me. This is according to Romans 7. And so now our lives became complicated. And so if you do not believe in Jesus, your life will be simple. You live however you want. But now there are three inside of you. And these three are real. They are not some figment of your imagination. And, and so when the, old, when the kingdom of heaven comes down on earth, the old self will be completely separated from us. But until that point, you are one with that old self. And so now that the Holy Spirit entered into me, The, the new self which was perfected in God has been has been created in you and so we need to live by that new self because that is what it means to be righteous what is righteousness? righteousness is being without sin and that new self has no ability to sin and so when you sin who is sinning inside of you? It is when you are one with the old self. And so we need to always be one with the new self. Is this difficult? Okay, this is all out of Ephesians. And so, if you live by the Holy Spirit continually, then you start to become aware of these three personalities inside of you. That, ah, right now I'm moving in the old self. 
Ah, right now it's the new self. And so what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means that you are maintaining the state of the new self. And so the longer you maintain the new self, the more you will realize the practicality of the dynamic of the Trinity. And so you'll come to receive that word through revelation. If you look at Psalms 40, David says that, oh God, uh, how deep are your thoughts for me? So even David, who did not know the blood of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, he realized how much God loved him. Because he's been continually listening to the Word of God, continually focused on God. And so 32 years ago, when I met with God, uh, within that year, he built this truth structure within me. I'm not someone who attended seminary first, but rather the Holy Spirit taught me the Bible first before I entered into Bible school. And then so the only thing I learned in Bible school was to learn that the word that I was reading, uh, to be able to read it in the original text in Greek and Hebrew. And so I did not learn through Greek and Hebrew the Bible, but rather through what the Holy Spirit taught me. And so if you continue to live by the uh, Holy Spirit, Thank you. So if you continue to maintain the new self, God will continue to speak to you. And as you continue to have fellowship with Him, He'll reveal His secrets to you. He'll reveal the histories of man and of, of the nations. And soon, to the true church of God, He's going to reveal who the Antichrist is going to be. He's going to show who the false prophet is. Already the false prophet has been determined, right? It's the Vatican. And so why is the South America so important? Because South America is oppressed so deeply by this great prostitute. And so when I see you pray, you do not pray loudly. But in the Bible, there's nowhere where they pray quietly. Even Jesus Christ prayed with loud cries, as it says in Hebrews 5, 7, that with great cries and, 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 and tribulation, he called out to God. The prayer without sound is Catholic prayer. Why do you need to shout in your prayers? Because you need to hear what your prayer says. And when you hear that, it breaks your flesh down. And then so later we'll talk about interpretation and tongues. But when you pray in tongues, you can't help but shout. And so without hearing, you cannot interpret. And so in this conference, you need to be able to pray powerfully. Your, your voices should be gone by the end of this conference. Whenever I meet my church members, the ones who do not have sore voices, I realize it's because they are not praying. 
And so I, I tell them to, I tell, they all need to have uh, sore voices. And so when this conference ends, I'm going to greet you at the door. And the ones who do not have uh, their voices gone, uh, Pastor Francisco, you're going to spend one more week here praying with them. Or next week, I'm going to Honduras. You can come to Honduras. Your voices need to be gone. You need to cry out to God. Amen? And so let's continue. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, so us, this amazing things happen. And so what else the Holy Spirit does? He has He dwells within me. You have become a new creation. This is really important. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that when the Holy Spirit came inside of you and as you have fellowship with Him, what He does is He transforms you into the image of God. And so we have been created in the image of God. But God's purpose was to perfect that image in Adam. But Adam failed. But now when Jesus Christ came to this earth, He dealt with the issue of sin, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us now. And so the Holy Spirit leads me into His glory. And whenever I see that glory, I'm being transformed a little bit more and more into His image. And so when we see that glory, we transform to be more like Him. But this was something that was impossible in the Old Testament. And so when Paul calls us a new creation, He's saying that, that the men before Jesus and the men after Jesus are completely different beings. So in your being, you have been changed. So you have now become children of the King. What Romans 8 calls you what? Heirs of God. That you are sons of God. And so when he says that you are a son of God, do you know how amazing this is? that this is something given to you through Jesus' death on the cross. And so you receive this all for free, yes? And so that's why we call it grace. And this grace can always fill us with inspiration and joy and wonder. Because He gave this all through what Jesus Christ has done. And so through the Holy Spirit coming into us, we have become a new being. For example, let's look at the prophets of the Old Testament. Jesus, or God's presence came upon them, and so they prophesied. Now that presence left. Then can that anointing and that, that power dwell within that prophet? It cannot. If the presence leaves, it's over. But now inside of you, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And so everything that the Holy Spirit does, 
that all, all of your preaching, all your holiness, all of you receiving that anointing, all of this is stored up inside of you. And, and so that's why Apostle Paul calls you a new creation. And so the system of the Old Testament man and the New Testament man is completely different. Is this word difficult? Receive it in faith, in your spirit. Don't try to understand. Just receive it in faith. Because I'm pouring out a great measure right now. I really was conflicted. Do I really need to proclaim all of this? And, but then God said that when else are you going to meet these people? That there is no guarantee. And then second is that they are my remnant. And so have faith in me and proclaim what I give you. And so I will proclaim because you are receiving as the remnant. Honestly, what I'm preaching is three years worth of sermons. But this three years measure I'm pouring out at once. And so if you want translation, send someone to our church to, to be able to be trained as a translator. Someone who can translate Korean to Spanish. Because how many books do we have in Spanish right now? We have five or six. Only five or six right now. Even though we've done 66 books of the Bible, we only have five or six in Spanish. And so as I talked about earlier, you know, soteriology, Christology, theology, all of these books needs to be translated to Spanish. But we do not have enough people who can speak Spanish to, to be able to do this work. And so we need these workers for Latin America. There's many people who have who have disappeared as they decided to do this work. That's how uh, much the devil hates this work. And so remember, everything that I'm preaching is not out of my research, it's not out of my studies. I, I give my life for this, that this is 100% revelation from God. I've never even heard this kind of sermon every, anywhere in the world, but this word is the word that revives souls. And this is word that I'm preaching to restore the truth and to so receive it in faith. Amen. And so though there's a great measure, let us receive it. Amen. And so look. And so the Holy Spirit dwelling within me transformed me. But the important thing here is that we need to live by that indwelling spirit. Remember, I cannot determine the presence. It's the same thing with the church. It's not about me growing my church out of my efforts. That's all focused on presence, focused on things that you can see. 
things that you can touch. That's not what's important. That's, that, that's not what you should be worried about. Especially in these end times. Soon, the gates of heaven will close. And so we need to live by the merits of the indwelling spirit inside of us. That we need to have deep and intimate fellowship with the spirit that dwells within me. And then so why is the word important? Because the most important paradigm to the indwelling Holy Spirit is eat the word, repent, obey, and bow down before him. So we need to receive the word in faith. That is the most important thing to those who live by the indwelling spirit. And the secondary is the Holy Spirit makes that, brings to fruition everything. Even spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul only uses the word spiritual gift once. Why? Because Corinthians was a church that was destroyed by spiritual gifts. They kept using spiritual gifts as kind of like some kind of show, as some kind of way to grow their church. All of the churches throughout history that have focused on spiritual gifts have fallen. They all, every single one, without exception. And this is such a tragedy, right? But even spiritual gifts, it's not about me using it, but according to the will of the Holy Spirit when He reveals it, when He makes it manifest inside of me. And so even spiritual gifts is something that the indwelling Spirit should activate in me. Now, of course, because of powerful presence, you may be able to use the anointing to manifest those spiritual gifts. But if that presence flies away, then no longer. And so it's all about indwelling. And so those who know the importance of the indwelling spirit, then they will give their lives to be holy. Why? Because as it says in Romans 4, that the spirit of God is a holy spirit is a sanctifying spirit. And so what does Romans 1, 4 say? That, that through the sanctifying spirit, Jesus was um, declared the Son of God. And so this holiness is the most important thing. And so when we live by the Holy Spirit, even the smallest obstacle, even the smallest rebellion is something that we will repent deeply of. Look at a pearl. When a clam makes a pearl, what? How does it happen? It's when a foreign object enters into that clam, and so if he leaves that there, then it's going to cut that clam up from the inside out. And so those who live by the indwelling spirit, it's they're not suffering because of some kind of famous sin. No, they do not want to put even any little uh, foreign object inside of them. And so we'll talk about this more when we talk about the Trinity. But when we have fellowship with this dynamic, He convicts you of these things, makes you realize that this is sin. Then that's when you can truly repent. And so that's when you are to repent. So it's all about the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And so look at how much you live by what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you touch. Just because you hear it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you see it doesn't mean it's true. If you live by those things, you will be deceived. As it says in John's two, or Revelation of John 2, 12, 15. It talks about the desires of the, of the eyes. And so if you live by what you hear, what you feel, what you see, that is trouble. It's about following the word of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit is leading this day and age. And so it's about asking the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3 says that walking with Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being in step with the Holy Spirit. So that's what it means to live by the Holy Spirit. That I have no will of my own, I have no plan of my own, but I surrender to God. I surrender and be sensitive to His movement. That's what it means to live by God. Is the word entering into your heart? And so because this is our first meeting, it may be awkward. But when I went to Africa, there's someone who fainted even as they were listening to the word of God. He screamed and went, ah, and he fainted. Truly. Anyone here? What I'm trying to say is listen carefully. Okay, listen carefully because the word is very important. Life is entering. And so because the Holy Spirit entered into me, remember, God fills the universe. He, the, in other words, Im, imminent God. But now there's something complicated happening. Because as He came into man, now there is a difference between imminent God and indwelling God. But according to our needs, this is something that's really amazing. Because of course we live by having fellowship with who dwells within me. But I can also have fellowship with him who is close to me in his presence. This is talking about the exchange, the interchange of life. If you look at John 15, it shows you the picture of this exchange of life. Right? It talks about God as a, as a planter. And Jesus is the branch. Or no, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And so I am in him and he is in me. My words is in he, you and you are in me. So we need to have this relationship. What does this mean? Okay, so the farmer plants the vine and gives the vine its nourishment. And so the vine absorbs that nutrients and grows and grows and sends those nutrients to the branches. Then the branches bear fruit. And then the farmer will take that fruit and enjoy that fruit. And so this is this interchange of life, the circle of life. And so he is in me. But at the same time, I am in him. This is not something that you can picture, right? And yet this is the relationship of presence and indwelling. Look at 1 John. 1 John 3. Sorry, chapter 4, verse 13. 
by this that we, oh, we know that we abide in Him uh, because He has given us of His Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit dwells in me. But at the same time, we are in His presence. And so this is what the amazing thing that happened when the Holy Spirit came into you. Okay, remember, He it fills the universe. But at the same time, He is in me. And so when I am under His reign, that means I am also in Him who fills and reigns over this entire universe. So look at verse 15. Uh, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And so I am in God. God is in me, and at the same time, I am in him. And so don't allow this relationship to be ideology. This is the dynamic that, that we have. And so, in space and time, the Holy Spirit is in me. But according to space and time, it's not God who's in me. It's the Holy Spirit. But we call it, uh, He is in me and dynamically. And so because I have fellowship with this Trinity God, when this Trinity moves, the Father may move inside of me, the Son may move inside of me. And so in this dynamic, I can have fellowship with Him continually. Continually moving according to the needs, according to His will. And so when a mother is pregnant, the, the, the fetus is inside the mother, right? The mother is also inside the fetus. Why is this possible to say? Because they are connected by what? The umbilical cord. And so all the nourishment of the mother is given to the, to the fetus through this umbilical cord. And so in this way, we can say that the mother is in the baby. And so this is the same relationship that we need to have, this love relationship with God. As if that, that I am as as if the baby is in the mother's womb and the mother is in the baby. In the same way, I am in him and he abides in me and he confirms that inside of me. As we see in 2 Corinthians 2, that the Holy Spirit's inside of me and he knows all things of me. And at the same time, he knows all the things of God. And so he meets all of those things inside of me and reconciles all of those things inside of me. And so there and so oh, oh sorry, one moment. And so, in this relationship, we have this continually dynamic of meeting with the Trinity, right? The Father, love, uh, grace through the Son, comfort through the Spirit. And so when we need love, we get love. When we need uh, grace, we get that grace. When we need that comfort, we need that comfort. Other times we need holiness. Other times we need power, right? It all comes in that dynamic. And so, through this indwelling spirit, we now have an amazing uh, fellowship with God. So, and so, let's turn to Colossians. In Colossians, it describes a similar thing. And so, here we can see that it's not just simply Apostle John's word saying this, but rather this is something that all churches were in agreement with in how to have fellowship with God. 
So whether it's Paul or John, whether it's Peter, this is something that all the churches knew in common. Why is the church so weak in compared to the early church? Because the truth has been corrupted. Because they have been deceived by the great prostitute. They have lost this deep fellowship. They have lost how to have fellowship with God. So that's why the church is not holy. And if the church is not holy, the church is not nothing. They keep saying, go back to the early church, go back to Acts. And yet, what do they want to be, ex be example? They want to, what do they want to see? Is this just simply power? It's not about power. They need to see that the, uh, the essence of that early church. When this truth stands firm, then there is no limitations to the work of God. And so miracles and works and signs and wonders, finances, all of these things will be unraveled to you through God. And so, uh, sorry, one moment. And so really, uh, we need to be people who live by faith because there's coming a time where without faith, we will not be able to survive. And so there are many of you who have visited our church before. And our church is a very small church. We are not a big church. And yet, we minister to the world. The amount of money we've used for the past 20 years overseas is more, is so much money. And yet, our church members, there is not a rich man amongst them. They're all very poor. All of these people back that you see, they're all poor. Amen. And yet, this has never been a limitation on the work of God. That's what it means to be the church of God. Why? Because the church of God has the riches of God's glory according to the book of Ephesians. And so in relationship with Him, we receive His glory. In that glory, there is riches. In that glory, there is freedom. In that glory, there is power. And so to Costa Rica and to all the churches, God gives you His glory. And so let's turn to Colossians. Colossians 1.17 And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And so whoever it may be, whether it's Paul or whoever it may be, they, as long as they have this fellowship with this Trinity God, that inside of him is all creation. What does that mean? That means that all creation is supported by his hands. That he controls the universe. So that means I do not need to try to control the creation. I just need to be in him. That's how important this fellowship is. Right, because through this fellowship, I, I have interchange of life with Him. And so the preeminent God continually anoints us. And this preeminent Father pours the power of His blood. And the Holy Spirit continually moves within the anointing that is presence. 
Amen? Hallelujah. And so do you realize how amazing of a being you are? Hallelujah. Then let us see this dynamic of the Trinity. And so what have we seen so far? We've been talking about the Trinity. That they are three, but they are one. Why? Because He is God. But they all have their own individual individuality. And then what else did we learn today? We talked about indwelling and imminent. And so this is and so for this he gave us the old self and the new self. And so we talked about the blood, we talked about new covenant, we talked about new creation. And now what do we need to see? We need to see the interchange of life. And these are all important contexts that flow throughout the New Testament. That wherever you look in the New Testament, it has this this essence as the background. And so you will make a mistake if you try to understand the word without this context. And so when you look at the Bible with these essences in mind, the Bible will be completely new to you. You need to understand that this Bible is a life. It's not an idea. And so that needs to always be in the background. And so as you have fellowship with God, He will continually embody these things inside of you, activate these things inside of you. And so I know that it's not your custom to listen to long sermons, but do not look at the time, please. Because when's the next time we might meet? Who knows? And so these four days is not a long time. And so give your time to God. And even if I preach five hours, okay, follow well, amen? Okay, if you cannot handle it, just, just doze off here. You may doze off, but please do not snore. Turn on, dig in there. Okay, first John is a very important book. And first John was written around AD 90. And there's also another book called Acts of John, an apocryphal book. And it's records of what John had done while he was the uh, bishop of, of Ephesus. And in that book, you'll see how amazing the church at Ephesus was. And later in Revelations, you'll see the various books of uh, the churches of Asia. Okay, but anyways, 32 years ago, God called me to be a pastor. I told him, I don't want to be a pastor. Because I saw the prophecy of Malachi. And and because God taught me about, about, about the word before I became a pastor. And it says in Malachi that there is nothing more cursed than being a priest to God. 
And so when I wanted to get married to my wife, she says she needs to be a pastor. And, and I said, don't, don't, don't talk nonsense. We just need to have good faith and live as lay members. And so I finally convinced her. But in her heart, I think she continues said that she still wants to be a pastor. But anyways, God called me. And I said, no. But then God said, through you, this glory will be established in these end times. And I didn't understand this at that time. But he showed me the church of Ephesians. And so he, at that time, he told me, you'll establish churches like Ephesians. And so what happened in this church around AD 90? Okay, there was this cult of Artemis that was, that was reigned supreme in Ephesus. And yet it disappeared off the face of the world. Remember, the greatest temple of Artemis was in Ephesus. That temple was completely wiped off the face of the earth. And there's no longer the cult of Artemis around. And we'll see how that happened in the Acts of John. What happened is that the priest of Artemis came. The priestess of Artemis was haughty and arrogant and came to John and challenged John to a spiritual battle. And so he call, she called him to the, the temple of Artemis. And so these priests of Artemis started to curse John in the name of Artemis. But a half a day passed and nothing happened to John. And then John asked them, Are you finished? Is it my turn now? And John took three steps forward, stretched his hands to heaven, and he said, Lord Jesus, show your glory. And from heaven a great hand came and cut the priest of Artemis in half and cut the entire temple in half. And this glory is going to be renewed in these end times. And so lift up your hands. Or no, sorry. Look look here. And the reason why the church in Ephesians was so great is because they continually had this dynamic fellowship with God. God is a person. He is real. It's just simply you do not see Him. But He is real and He is with you right now. And He walks with you and He's speaking to you. And so what's more important than being close to Him? Open your eyes. Open your eyes and see the times that you are living in. Soon, soon the time that God is waiting for, the time that God is waiting for will be revealed. And God is inviting you to that glory right now. Hallelujah. And so let us escape, escape the system of religion, escape the system of program. The church needs to move through the power of the life of God, not through systems of man. Amen? And so it's okay to listen to long sermons, yes? Okay, so let's talk about the dynamism, the dynamic of the Trinity. Okay, so whenever I, when I met with God, I lived this out in practice. 
But I didn't know what to call it. And I learned of the word Trinity when I went into seminary. And there was not a big problem there. But the, as I said earlier, the issue with the word itself is, is the pollution and the context that, that, that the Vatican has put onto that word. And so I'm someone who puts importance on the word of God. And then so I thought about why in the Bible is there no place where they describe the Trinity? To describe the, the, the fellowship of that trinity. Because I know that the early church was having the same kind of fellowship. And yet, why is there no clear uh, dis description of this kind of fellowship? And so for 20 years, I've been, I've been concerned with this, asking God. And finally, I found it several years ago. If you look at today's text. Okay, we're finally entering into today's text. Okay, we need to get to verse 10 of 1 John, amen? Okay, remember, how long did I preach when I first started my church? Even now, our church's service is four or five hours long. I'm not doing that on purpose. Because the Holy Spirit continually pours out His Spirit, I can't stop. And so look at how precious God considers you. That He's continually moving this glory in me. So God is saying this. That above all else, proclaim the Word of God. That the Word of God will, will revive them. That the Word of God will heal them. That the Word of God will cast demons out. That the Word of God will give them power. Amen? And so, really, uh, I, I open up the doors to you. And so, really, if you have too much of a hard time, uh, you can doze off. Okay, really, you can doze off. Okay, uh, think about the Koreans who are here. We live on completely opposite time, and yet we are here with you. And you know what's amazing is that right now, in this very hour, all over the world, they are praying at the same time. So right now, it's 2 o'clock in the morning in, in Korea, but they are all praying for you right now. Even in Africa, they're praying for you right now. Even in Southeast Asia, they're praying for you right now. In America, they're praying for you right now. In Israel, they're praying for you right now. And so should we not receive grace? They're praying for you that amongst you, true remnant will rise up. Even they're fasting for you right now. And so do not let this opportunity pass you by and be renewed, be transformed. Amen. And so if you are if you are sleepy, lift your hands so that they can get you coffee. Hallelujah. It is my joy to serve you. And I really want to give you the best. And so, you have the right to enjoy all of this. 
God has prepared this for you. Especially, the most important thing to you right now is the Word of God. And so I bless you that you will receive great grace. And so let's enter into today's text. If you look at verse 3, it talks about fellowship, right? We have fellowship. So as I said earlier, 1 John is written for fellowship. Let's go one more hour. Okay, so we're going to meet tomorrow. Um, Francisco's time is, Pastor Francisco's time is from 2 to 3 tomorrow in the afternoon. And so from chapter from 4 to 5, the ministers of our church will come to minister to you, will do healing ministry to you. From about 4 to 5. And so if you would like to receive healing or interpretation, please come down here. They'll prophesy for you. They'll interpret for you. Uh, if you can speak English, that would be great if you could help translate. Because our ministers can speak a little bit of English. Also, our pastors can also, uh, we brought a lot of pastors along with us as well. And so, um, make good use of these next four days and, and really enjoy what God has provided for you. And according to God's leading, I will also lay hands on you. And when I lay hands on you, there will be great impartation of God's Spirit. A strong impartation. Poderoso. Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper. Just focus a little bit deeper. Look at verse 3. And so what is this fellowship? What is this fellowship that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you? And so look, what is fellowship? Fellowship is proclaiming what they have seen and what they have heard. And so what they have seen and what they heard is talking about revelation. And so what did they see? We see in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, the word of God, the word of life. And so what is the word of life? The word of life is the word life or not? So remember, the spirit of the law of life. The spirit has life. And so all the kingdom of all the things of the kingdom of heaven is based on the element of life. So if you live by the kingdom of heaven, then life is moving inside of you. And what that life is is a Zoe life, which is eternal life. And so when you receive grace, that life grows inside of you. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're like life grows inside of you. When you're filled with the Word, that life grows inside of you. 
And so the church of God is dealing with life. And so one being is a life, yes? But that life is not an eternal life. To be more accurate, we are created in the image of God. But the character is, is that they are living Pushke, living Pusuke. Pushke is, is a Greek word. Right? It says in Genesis that you became living, you became a living being. And this living being in Greek is living Pusuke. What that means is you are a living, you are a living psyche, a living soul. And so if you are outside of God, you cannot help but live by your soul. You cannot help but live by your thoughts, your mind. And so I, I do need to preach on this later. And so when God created man, that when man is not one with God, they cannot help but live according to their own will. And so Paul talks about this accurately in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about resurrection. And so if you live by your thoughts, you are living by your soul. That is not eternal life then. And so God, because of the failure of Adam, we can't help but, he can't help but give us the Holy Spirit so that we can walk with God as Adam did. And so now we can live in that eternal life. But if we do not live by the Holy Spirit, then we're constantly living by this living psyche. If you look at 1 Corinthians, a living psyche ultimately is the flesh, it's the sarks. It is part of the old self. But the kingdom of heaven must only have relationship with life. And so when you preach, as we'll see later in 1 John 1.17 or, or 2.17, that it's the anointing that preaches or teaches. And so that, what does that mean? That means you need to teach in the power of life. You are not teaching out of your know-how, out of your education. No, you need to allow that life to flow through you. And so remember that the only element of the kingdom of heaven that is important is life. And so it's important to know what the church of God is all about. And the spirit is a very delicate thing. Okay, when you look at the newspaper, when they, when they make a typo, a person is not going to die, right? But with the word of God, the word of God is the word of life. And so if one error is in the word of life, that is going to determine life and death. In that perspective, preaching is fearful. If you look at 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, that God has a, that I have stood before God as a worker approved, and this word approved in Greek is the word dokimatso. And what is this talking about? This is talking about complete pure state, because Paul has been entrusted as a steward. He needs to be clean. He needs to be clean. 
And so that's why for 17 years he spent time wrestling with God in the desert. And so, of course, God is not demanding that of you. But it is dangerous to proclaim the word of God without checking your purity first. As Malachi says, that the offering must be clean, but also the hands that offer must be clean as well. And so the word, the hands needs to be clean as well. And so when you are a pastor, do not treat this lightly. Okay, the level of holiness demanded of a pastor is different from a lay member. You have been set apart for God. You need to understand that the kingdom of heaven rests on your shoulders. And at the same time, that gives you great dignity. And so that's why whenever I go overseas, my conferences are for pastors only. Why? Because church members are important, but first of all, the pastors need to stand firm. And so brothers, through this conference, the church of God, your calling as a pastor, you need to receive how dignified you are in these things. Amen? And in these end times, God is building up these great leaders for His church. So this conference isn't just simply a conference that you attend and enjoy for a moment. Now I'm not saying that not enjoy, but in this day and age, God is looking for His servants, for His true servants. And He wants to establish His glorious church in these end times. And so let's continue. And so look. This fellowship is proclaiming what you have seen and what you have heard. That is fellowship. And so this word fellowship is the word in Greek koinonia. Koinonia is sharing similar things. Sharing a shared thing. And so if you do not have something in common with God, then you cannot have fellowship with God. And so if the church members do not have the shared, uh, a common truth, then they cannot have fellowship with one another. And so the Holy Spirit needs to be in me, and the kingdom of heaven needs to move in me, the blood is inside of me, and the holiness is inside of me, His word is inside of me. And so I am having fellowship with God. And when church members who have these things come together, they also have fellowship with one another. And so whenever Paul writes a letter, who is he writing to? He's writing that, that do not consider anything apart from my gospel. Because the most important thing is that this word that I'm preaching to you is what's moving the church. And so in one community, they must be moved by one sermon. And one, uh, the kingdom needs to move for one goal, for one purpose, and for one love, and one faith. It's all united together. Amen? And so it's about sharing this common thing. So continuing in this. 
and so which was with the Father and was made man. Oh, wait, uh, sorry, sir. Verse three. Uh, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And so in English it says with the Father and with His Son, right? But in Korean it just says with the Father and His Son. But the important thing that we need to see here is that there's two fellowships being described. Fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son. And so we are not meeting with the Trinity all at once. At times we're meeting with the Father. And so the other two are connected, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are meeting with them. And so you are meeting with the fellowship in a dynamic of the Trinity. And then so in this word, this word with is the Greek word meta. And then it says meta with his son Jesus Christ and meta with God. And then look at verse 2 though. Verse 2 it says that there's a life has made manifest. And so, uh, one moment. And so, uh, we, 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 uh, so verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. Um, we have t seen with our eyes, which we have heard and we have touched with our hands. So remember, you testify to this word. And so because you have seen it, you can give your life to it. And then in verse 3, it says we proclaim it, right? And this word proclaim is the word angelos. It's again, declare, proclaim. And so what is the word of life to be done? You need to see it. You need to touch it. You need to hear it. And you need, and this, and you need to understand this is real. And then you give your life for it. And through that, you proclaim it. And so in your preaching, you are not convincing your church members. You are not appealing to them. What is euangelion? Euangelion means declare, gospel. That if you do not receive this word, you will die. That's what you are to proclaim. That you need to receive this word to live. That this is the only way to live by the kingdom of heaven. That this is what pleases God. That everything else is sin. That's what you need to be able to proclaim in your preaching. That's what euangelio is. Your sermons needs to be a declaration. In other ways, you need to feed them that life. You need to show them. And don't say that, ah, oh, this is asador, asador, cook it. No, uh, 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 so you are not just showing them the menu. It's because you are showing them only the menu. That's why they're hungry. That's why they're so hungry for the word. 
Because all they're doing is seeing the menu and because they're hungry, that's why they come after your life. Right? They come after you because they're so hungry. You need to feed them. That's what declaration is. Then first, you need to see the uh, reality of that life. Amen? And that's why you need to have fellowship with this Trinity. If you cannot see the reality of that life, if and you preach, then you are just preaching theory. It just becomes information. Information is just a standard of judgment. It cannot be life. You need to feed them. Feed them that life. That's when you'll be able to have true... And for that reason, you need to have fellowship. And so let's continue. And so, which was with the Father and has... Uh, and, uh, and was made manifest to us. And so again, hear this word with. This word with is actually a different preposition. Instead of using meta, it's using the word pros. So I, there's this little explanation I need to talk about. And so this is where I found the description of the dynamic of the Trinity. Throughout the Bible, when the apostles write about your fellowship with the Trinity, they use three different uh, prepositions and with intent. When it's to the Father, it's always the word pros. What is pros? Pros is with in the terms that you are facing towards God. You are towards God. And so even Jesus is facing towards the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is inside of me. And so because the Holy Spirit leads me to Jesus, with Jesus, I am facing towards the Father. And so what direction do you have when you are with God? You are facing God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and then my spirit. And so it's this line. And so this life leads me. It leads me. And where it leads me is it leads me in this direction to God the Father. And so this word pros. There is nowhere where this word is used to describe Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Only to the Father. And they wrote this like this for a purpose. And so Jesus also himself is always pros towards God. And so we also, as followers of Jesus, need to pros towards the Father. This is really amazing revelation, right? It's about direction. And so this one conjunction, our preposition, is only used towards the Father. And so, uh, we will not see the other word in John, but there is another word in Paul when it talks about when it talks about Paul using another uh, preposition towards the Son. And because this word is the is all one together, right? We can look at all different parts of the Bible. And John is someone who has been eating the word from the beginning since he met with Jesus until this point. And so, there's another preposition that we'll see, which is shin. And there are many places where this word is used. But whenever it talks about our relationship to Jesus, the only preposition used is shin. 
throughout the Bible, there's no other pre preposition used. This is amazing, isn't it not? The apostle or the early church came with, with this definition to describe the, dis uh, the dynamic of the Trinity. And so look at Colossians. Okay, there are many places in Colossians. But let's just look at one since we don't have much time. Look at verse chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died. <laughs> he said that Colossians disappeared from his Bible. <laughs> it's behind Philippians. Colossians 3.3 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And so this word with here is the word shin. And so whenever there's Christ and with, that word is always shin. And that life is in Christ. Or in God, sorry, in God. And so in Colossians, these two words are constantly repeated, with and in, with and in, with and in. And so let's say that this paper comes into the Bible. Where's the Bible? It's over my head. Where's the paper then? The paper is also over my head. And so look, when I am with Christ, when the Holy Spirit is inside of me, then I am with Him, right? And so when I'm in Him, I am with Him. And so the most important thing here is to be in Him. When the, when the Spirit is inside of me, when He is in me, when God is in me, I am with Him. And so the important thing here is that the only preposition used in our context with our relationship to Jesus Christ is Shin. And then we saw earlier there was the word Meta. And so at the same time, we Meta towards God. We Meta with Jesus. And so there's two prepositions used to God and Jesus. To God it's pros. And to Jesus is shin. But at the same time we can use the word meta to both. They all three means with. But what's the difference? I told, told you pros is about direction. It's about, what is shin then? Shreen is like a circle within a circle. Why, what does this mean? Because, because we are of the same essence with Jesus Christ. So if, as we keep having fellowship with God in this dynamic of the Trinity, right, we are receiving everything that He did as He came in this earth as flesh. And so like it says in Hebrews 1.12, uh, Hebrews 2.12, that the one who is holy and those who are being made holy are of the same source. And this is declaration. You need to declare this. That we are the same essence. That he is heir, we are also heirs. He is son of God, we are also son of God. And so we are the same essence. That's the relationship of Shin. 
And so the more fellowship you have with Him, the more of that dignity, that majesty, that honor is made manifest inside of you. So listen carefully. Remember, this is all in the context of fellowship. It's all made in fellowship. Then what is meta? Meta is like a triangle being inside of a circle. And so, of course, we are the same essence of Him. And yet, at the same time, we are created beings. We lack so much, right? So we are so far from His holiness. We are so far from His almighty nature. And, but if we are having proper fellowship with Him, then the nobility, the dignity that God gives you goes up to the heavens. How high? It goes to the point where you are the same essence with Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, we humble ourselves as low, lower and lower and lower. Because without Him, we are nothing. That's what Metta is all about. And so are you having this proper relationship with this Trinity? Then these two things will be clear in your life. Your dignity goes up to the heavens. That this world cannot handle it. That this world becomes nothing to you. Because your dignity transcends this world. And yet at the same time, you are humble beyond humility. Because without Him, you are nothing. That's metta. And so in order to distinguish this, this dynamic, uh, the early church used these three different prepositions to use the same width. To Jesus Christ is always shin. Wherever in the Bible, it's always shin. If there's another preposition that you can find, I will give you my house. That when it comes to my relationship to God, the Father, it's always pros. That there is no other way, uh, preposition used except for pros. Even Jesus to God the Father is always pros. How amazing is this? The early church clearly distinguishes this dynamic in their fellowship, the dynamic of the Trinity. Hallelujah. And so look, so we pros towards God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is inside of me. Okay, now I forgot to talk about the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit alone is in me. This word is always dia or through, or through, in me. Or from, sorry, from. And so we do not say we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit that allows me to have fellowship with the Son and the Father. And so who receives your prayers? Do you pray to the Holy Spirit? No, you never. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you pray to the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit helps your prayers. We pray to the Father. Right? It's always pros. And so when you have fellowship with this dynamic of the Trinity, when you meet with God, then His love pours out upon you. And remember, they are three, and so they move together. And so when God pours out His love, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is confirming that love. Right? As it says in Romans uh, 5.8. Then what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit bears witness to that love. 
And so this Trinity is always moving as one. Amen? And so this may be a difficult concept to grasp, I know. But just when you receive the anointing, and you do not limit the Holy Spirit, you will see this dynamic moving inside of you as you have fellowship with the Trinity. And so for a time, receive the anointing and pray in tongues. As you pray in tongues, you will embody this dynamic trinity. 32 years ago when I met with God, I didn't know this word, this dynamic of the trinity. I didn't understand this concept. But I was so enthralled with God that I prayed for 10 hours a day. And then all of a sudden, I started to be able to interpret my tongue prayer. And through that interpretation, I was seeing. I was seeing the love of the Father, the, the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I started to interpret these things through my tongue prayer. And so through that, I started to look to the Bible to find evidence of this. What my relationship is to the Father and to the Son. And so I saw that this, this, this uh, fellowship moved in a dynamic way. And so this word Trinity in itself is not a problem. But the problem was that the Vatican turned this word into something that is so divine, that, that is so far from you. It has nothing to do with you. It's something that you can't grasp, you cannot touch. But what you need to understand is that the Trinity was given to you to be friendly, to be fellowship. And so you need to keep meeting with the dynamic of this Trinity. Keep experiencing the dynamic of His characteristic, of His distinction. Hallelujah. And so I wanted to do all of chapter 1, but I don't think that I can finish all of chapter 1. And so let's finish chapter 1 and 2 tomorrow. Okay, let us pray. Okay, we need to pray, yes? We need to embody what we have heard today, yes? And so pray in tongues today. Pray with loud voices. Let us break down the spirit of religion. Okay, I will lay hands upon you. And so be seated, be seated, be seated. You do not need to stand. Okay. Okay, standing is maybe uncomfortable because you may fall down and so so you would be afraid if you're standing, so be seated. And so so be seated, please be seated. And so be seated and let the spirit move you. Because the Holy Spirit is going to unleash his waterfall upon you. And so young adults, or, or so ministers, go about laying hands. And so please, be seated as you pray. Really, because you may fall. So do not limit the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, at this time, may your word come upon them in anointing. May they realize the dynamic of the Trinity. And so Lord, may this amazing truth of the early church be restored upon to them. And may the glory of the early church be renewed in them. Let us pray all together.
that right now God is pouring out an amazing anointing and he is pouring out the anointing of apostolic power. And to the pastor's wives, he is pouring out prophetic anointing. And so through prayer, activate it and you, pastor's wives, you will see visions. And so above all else, receive that you are the same essence of Jesus and receive that dignity. Let that dignity rise up inside of you. God will pour out that love upon you. And the Holy Spirit, as you receive him in faith, will let you declare, declare, declare your apostolic authority. Declare your prophetic authority. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Amen. And so, right now, you need to see the blood of God, Christ, moving inside of you. Your hurts, your bindings, your hardness is all going to be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ at this time. And so, as I said earlier, the blood that cleansed us of our sins was all spilled at the cross. But the blood, the pure blood that erases the sin from the heavenly tabernacles was sprinkled in the heavenly tabernacles. And so, on the Day of Atonement, according to Leviticus 16, there are two kinds of lambs. Okay, I'll talk about this later tomorrow. One of that blood is the blood that received the sins of Israel. And the other blood is a lamb that did not lay hands on, that they did not lay hands on. Clean, pure. But when the, what the, the blood that they sprinkled on the Holy of Holies was this pure blood. And so like this word, like this word in, in Exodus 25, 24, 25, 24-25, that upon this blood I will meet with you. And so when that day of atonement comes, Jesus, our God, met with Israel. 
in the same way the blood that erased all of our records of sin is this blood. This holy blood is being sprinkled upon you. And so that dignity, that all of the all of the sins inside of me, all of the all of the hurts is being washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we meet with God, when we are with Jesus, trained with Jesus, the blood of Jesus moves inside of me. And so I command you in the name of Jesus, all the darkness shall flee by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Okay, let's close here and I'll see you tomorrow.